on this week's episode of Power of the Purell. We're going to talk a bit about the potential 24-team playoff format the NHL will be coming back with. It's starting to get some steam, and it sounds like it could be a possibility, so I'm going to give you my thoughts on that. We have Clay Emo as a guest this week. You may know him as Canuck Clay on Twitter and from his various YouTube videos. And, of course, we're to end with a little binge recommendation for everyone. Should be a good one. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. He's not a person at all. He's a towel. You're a towel. But in Vancouver, mainly it's all about towel power. Are you ready? Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Power of the Purell, the under-quarantine version of Power of the Towel. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Make sure to subscribe to the Nux Misconduct Network. Yes, the Nux Misconduct Network. Not only get the show, you get the quickie every day. You get silky and filthy. Puck talk and bullshit last week. Kyle and Trevor went over some great what-ifs. Some Canuck-related, some not Canuck-related. And I got to admit, the ones that were not Canuck-related were probably the most intriguing. And of course, sipping on a 40, that's coming back soon, I assume, when hockey comes back. Kind of hard to do a post-game show about the Vancouver Canucks when there's no games going on. But in any event, it sounds like the NHL is going to come back at some point this year, people have been saying it for a while, but it sounds like Gary Batman and company are hell-bent, yes, hell-bent, on making sure that Stanley Cup is awarded this year somehow, some way. Now, today's May 18th. I'm recording this on May 18th. Uh, the Victoria Day Monday, this is the first time, man, since I was probably 17, I have not been away for the Victoria Day long weekend. I'm usually out camping. I'm usually, you know, some couple of years I went to Whistler. I'm out somewhere in this great province. But this year, the streak is broken. Hey, what can you do? Extenuating circumstances. May 18th. We should be wrapping up the second round of the playoffs right now. And we should be getting on to the Western and Eastern Conference Finals in an alternate universe. But this is not the universe we live in. The universe we live in now is we got to wait for hockey to come back. And again, it sounds like 24 playoff, team playoff format is what's going to happen. Pierre Lebrun wrote an article on The Athletic outlining what it could look like. They still got to talk about it. It sounds like the early June draft is not happening, even though they didn't need Board of Governors approval. There seemed to be too much pushback. But if you're going to do a 24-team playoff format, you've got to... You've got to get approval from all the teams and the HLPA. Now, my personal opinion of the 24-team playoff format, it's stupid. It's stupid. But, hey, we live in unprecedented times. What are you going to do about it? It kind of sucks. Actually, it really does suck. But I, I can see why they're going to do it. They need you know as many teams in as possible to, to drum up interest. I don't know about revenue because there's not going to be ticketed fans. They're just going to go with, I guess, more teams means more potential TV revenue. I think that's what they're going for. But in my opinion, the Canucks finished with 69 game, nice game play, games played. Every team finished around the same mark, you know, 69, 70, 71. Around, you have enough of a sample size throughout the regular season to make just a 16-team playoff based on point percentage. You don't need to go to a 24-team playoff format. You have essentially the playoff teams right now based on point percentage. And hey, the Canucks would be in it, so that's maybe why I want this format. But hey, if any team outside of the 16 win it, 
put a fat asterisk next to their their names when you engrave the Stanley Cup. Just do it already. A team like Montreal or Chicago, can you imagine the outrage if Chicago wins another cup with an asterisk? I've always, I've, I, hey, I've always said, Chicago, two and a half cups. They don't have three cups. They have two and a half cups. Hey, so if you win another asterisk cup, you'll, Chicago fans out there listening, you'll have three cups then, but you got two and a half now. Actually, you know what? If any team wins the cup this year, it's an asterisk. Unless, of course, the Vancouver Canucks win it, then it's a legitimate Stanley Cup. But it's not going to feel the same whoever wins it, even if a, a team that's been dominant all year, like Boston, God forbid, wins it. Yeah, they deserve. They probably deserve to win it, but it's not going to feel the same, man. It's not going to feel the same. And if I'm in the NHL, I know they'll never do this, but for me personally, just go full chaos. Just go for the weirdest scenario you can possibly think of when it comes to... Go for like a single elimination March Madness-style Stanley Cup playoffs. That would be awesome. They'll never do it. But if, you're, if everyone's going to think, at least in my opinion, everyone's going to think that this is a write-off anyways, just go full chaos, single elimination, you know, best of three Stanley Cup final. Who cares? This is your chance to try something truly, truly crazy. And I know you're going to say, hey, 24 playoff format's kind of crazy. No, it's not, because I'm sure they're still going to want to do seven-game series for the regular for the regular series. Now, next week, hey, hockey's not coming back next week. We're starving for content here. Everyone's starving for content. But next week, I am going to outline, I'm going to break down who the Canucks could be playing in that opening round of the 2014 playoff because I saw a bracket online and I think it's pretty interesting the matchups that would be going on. But 24 team playoffs, that ain't it, Gary. That ain't it. Again, this is power of the Purell, the under quarantine version of power of the towel for the next misconduct network. Follow us on Twitter at power of the towel. Follow myself at Nick Bondi. Now, up next, we mentioned it off the top, we have Clay Emo. Just a minute. Don't hang up. Yellow. You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. All right. So we now welcome on Power of the Purell, the under-quarantined version of Power of the Towel. You may know him as Canuck Clay on Twitter, on, on YouTube. It's Clay Emo. Clay, how's it going, man? I'm great, Nick. Uh, how are you, man? I'm I'm doing well. You know, I, this is the first time uh, getting out to the Posted Up Studios in North Burnaby, where I usually, where I used to record the podcast. Uh, you know, back in early March, and first time out yeah. of the house really in in two months. It's kind of it's kind of strange, but it's a nice change. Well, I'm glad to sh- I'm glad to share this moment with you, then. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's 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 been it's been a trip. Like actually having like a nice board to record off, and not just trying to record it off like a little like snowball mic off my computer it's been nice it's been nice i have to say yeah and it's crazy and it's, yeah and it's not whether it's uh you know uh, startup youtubers like me or podcasters like you or professionals it's, in, it's interesting to see how they're doing stuff from their own homes right even tsn all the guys are doing it from their own fire you know their their living rooms and dens and stuff it's, it's a fascinating time man yeah it's 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 been wild like trying to like it's interesting to see all these uh all these people's home like setups like i feel like you need to like go out and buy just a bunch of books off amazon when you set up your home studio, just make sure, like, hey, I read. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I thought you were going to say, you just uh, buy a bunch of these uh, books from Amazon and then put them behind you so it looks like, is that what you mean? Like, so it looks like you have a yeah, library. Yeah, it looks like you just have a library. Like, it looks like you read. <laughs> That's awesome. No, it's true. There, there's some good ones and there's some bad ones for sure. But I'm sure that, you know, CSN and those guys, uh, it looks like they have some of that actual studio lighting, right? Like professional stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so that's cool, man. I'm happy for you. Happy for you. Yeah, it's a, it's it's been interesting. The uh, it's been interesting uh, couple of months. How have you been under quarantine? Like, what have you been up to? Yeah, no, thanks for asking. Man. Things are good. Uh, you know, my kids are older. They're 18, 16, and 12. So they're uh, one's in UBC during summer now. One's in grade 11. One's in grade seven. So they're um, they're independent. Like I, um, we're very blessed. We're healthy. We have a nice, safe place to live. And 
we're you know we're all employed still, so I really can't complain. Um, and uh, so we're doing okay. My wife's a teacher, so she's been very busy. She was she was ready to go. She anticipated it over spring break, as you know, that's when everything happened two months mm-hmm. ago now. But um, so she's been busy. And then my work is actually uh, ironic or interesting thing uh, that we talked about because after two months at home to the day. I'll be going back to the office tomorrow at the Catholic Archdiocese. We're doing a, a phased approach as well, like I'm sure many places are. And uh, the directors, the management kind of got to go first. So I don't mind. I love being at home. I love the convenience of vlogging from home, eating with my family, you know, staying up late, uh, working, you know, uh, as you know, business on top, casual on the bottom. But I think uh, I got to put on some pants tomorrow when I go to the office for sure. Oh, yeah, that's been that's that's probably the worst part of actually having to go to office is, you know, you have to dress up and everything. My, Hey, my sleep schedule has been so messed up over the past couple months. Like I haven't been working, just kind of been chilling at yeah. home and I wake up at 10 every day. Like it's just, it's, wow. it's wild. What time do you go to bed? Oh, I got maybe like one thirty. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm a night owl. You get your seven, yeah. You get your seven, eight hours, but it's just kind of shifted a little bit. Well, it's not like I have to wake up and go anywhere. So there's really no point in like, it's not getting anywhere to go, even if I wanted to wake up early, right? Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So you mentioned your, your children. I know they're big bowlers, right? They are all three of them. Yeah. So here's my question. Have any of them done right. the, the Pete Weber? Who do you think you are? I am after like a big bowling win. <laughs> no, no, that's a great question. Nick. Uh, I think if any of them would, it would be my eldest son, John. So that- well, we got Sean's 18. He's a provincial finalist, but it's never won the big dance, so to speak. Jacob, our 16-year-old, he is uh, the strongest one. He's actually a, a two-time national champion. So exactly this time last year, he was racking up back-to-back wins in Edmonton and Quebec, which is exciting. And he's a two-handed uh, Jason Belmonte, very unorthodox, although much more popular now. He's a two-handed bowler. And then our Kayla, 12 years old, she's actually the provincial champion this year. So next weekend, we were supposed to be in Northern Ontario oh, for her... Yeah, I know for her for her national championship. So Jacob's won uh, two nationals. Taylor would have got a nationals this year, and then trying a little older, but he's a multi-sport athlete. Yeah, very competitive bowler, but he uh, he hasn't been able to break through yet. But yeah, to answer your question, uh, the, the famous Pete Weber. Uh, I yeah, if, if it was one of them, it would be shot. Oh, maybe it would be me actually. But then I'm never bowling competitive enough to be in that pressure point. Uh, you know, pressure back situation. Are you bowl, Nick, or do you? No, bowl, uh, I go to revs like. Once in a while, but yeah. I'm I'm very That's bad. Awesome. I'm I'm I do the like the granny style like two hand like toss underneath the legs. <laughs> I'm all about accuracy. Hey, man, That's the only way works. I can get strikes. Hey, if it works, it works. That's awesome. I'm happy for you. That's, and it's funny every time I'm pointing. That's one thing we really miss. Like right? the the three kids bowl competitively, so they're at the bowling alley two or three times a week. Yeah, the so, two boys work at the bowling alley, so there's another two times a week. Oh so damn, we're, we're there. They're there. Yeah, they're there four or five times a week, which is awesome. So. You know, a uh, really good, uh, healthy environment, meeting some really good bowlers, and especially for my middle guy, it's something that he might want to do, you know, down the road. So, yeah, we're missing that as well, among many other things. So your your kids work at a bowling alley. Would, is pin monkey like a, a derogatory term? Remember from Sorry, the Simpsons? The pin monkey. Oh, <laughs> no, I, I don't think I don't think so. At all. And it's funny that you say pin monkey because. Uh, they work at Lucky Nine Lanes in Richmond uh, at the Riverport Six Road in Houston, and the bar connected to it is Monkey Nine. So I thought you were doing a very, very clever. Uh, no, sorry, you're you're, you're over you're overestimating me a lot. I'm not that clever. <laughs> That's awesome. No, they're and I love it. They're they're absorbed in the bowling culture. You know, it's a funny culture. They absorb them, but they love it, and it's, uh, they get good discounts, obviously, on their 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 lineage and their shoe rental. And uh, it's you know, it's been a really, really good situation for us for them for sure. Do they get any of those? Uh, I'm just my whole like experience for bowling culture comes from that one Simpsons episode where they they're uh, Mr. Burns joins Homer's bowling team. They have cool jackets. Yeah, my my kids they got cool jerseys. They don't have the full jackets yet, but they definitely have. We actually ordered a bunch of personalized jerseys that came in in April, so we're just dying to use them. Absolutely. Okay, so let's get let's get some actual you know hockey Canucks talk. My first question, <laughs> sure. yeah, my first question is, how did you get into you know, vlogging in, in the first place? Like, what was your inspiration to, you know, start? Not Like, a lot of people, like, I would assume, go out, want to write about their thoughts. You went in a different direction and started to record your thoughts. Like, what was the, yeah. what was the inspiration behind starting vlogging? Yeah, great question, Nick. Um, really quickly, I've been a tech fan all my life. I'm 45 years old, have fond memories of listening to Jim Robson and Tom Larshide on CKNW, listening to every game with my dad and my younger brother. Of course, as you know, the games were on TV back then, so we were on the radio. And I, so I've always been a Canucks fan since birth, and that, 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 that's the truth. Mm. 
Then around 2010, when the Winter Olympics happened, Nick, um, I started vlogging those Winter Olympics, and that was actually oh, okay. the start. Yeah, you know, I, well, prior to 2010, I, I'd done a couple Canucks things. The Canucks, just when social media started going, they ran a couple of these YouTube contests, and one of them was uh, we did the ultimate Canucks haiku. So it was my four-year-old uh, son, Sean. Well, maybe, no, he was six at the time, six or seven. Jacob was uh, four or five. Jacob could barely speak any English. Maybe that's some of the allure of the, of the video. And I had them saying these haikus that they had to memorize. They probably didn't even know what they were talking about. And that contest in 2008-2009 helped us win the Ultimate Connects family. So that was like our first foray into YouTube. I did some other couple fun ones. But it was actually the Winter Olympics, Nick. Uh, I was vlogging that every single day because working for the Catholic Archdiocese, uh, we were right in the heart of everything at Robson and Canby downtown right next to BC Place, a block away from Rogers Arena GM Place at the time. So uh, we were in the middle of all the, you know, the, the praise, the fanfare, all that kind of thing. So I just vlogged my experience. And that's, I got comfortable in front of a camera. You know, I, I do a lot of speaking for work as well. I have no, I enjoy speaking. And I'm, I'm literally, I'm a much better speaker than I am a writer. Like, uh, I respect everyone who does blogs. Uh, I respect who does, who does blogs and, and written articles. So that's just not my thing. I, I feel that I'm a better communicator uh, verbally, orally, than I am in a written standpoint. So there's Olympics, and then of course the Canucks uh, strong playoff runs, including the 2011 run. And I didn't really start going daily until about four or five years ago. I would, mm -hmm. you know, kind of kind of come in waves, playoff series or a parody song here and there, of course. And then and then really it's just the last two, three, maybe three or four years where I've committed to try and do them uh, regularly uh, and meaning on a daily basis. So yeah, I, I just think my my strength is in verbal communication as opposed to written. Okay, so I got two more questions off of that. You're probably no, you're, you're probably very well known for like your parody songs, right? Like I'm thinking of like the Christmas one you did. You did one about <laughs> you did one about like the Seahawks, I remember. Which was your yep. personal favorite to like record and write? Oh, right, that's an excellent question. And I, I love this. You're pumping ones. my tires like 24/7. No, I, I love that. I love no, this. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie, man. I am impressed that I don't do a lot of these things because, but when I do, uh, you know, obviously you, you want to do a bit of research and I'm very impressed by, you know, even before we were talking, before you hit the record button, I was very impressed by what you had looked up and what you know already. So I'll, I'll just say that. How's that? Nick? Okay. That okay. Oh, oh, that. Uh, yeah. That, that was awesome. Like that's, I'm, that, I'm, I'm tweeting, I'm, I'm putting that on my fridge right there. Please do. Please do. So the two Seahawks ones, when they went back to back Super Bowls, those have brought us the most. That got us actually the most views. They're, they're at 250,000 views each on YouTube. Yeah, and it's not a big a lot, deal. I got a lot of news. Yeah, I got a lot of new subscribers, and then they realized that I was doing Canucks content regularly, and I just did two one-off Seahawks songs. <laughs> but that's okay. For um, the pairing songs, you know, I've worked with really talented people, a lot of friends from my church. Marie Huey, as you know, the anthem singer, not just anthem singer, but performer and wonderful friend. She's the one I've done the most with, uh, another wonderful artist named Ariel Turiel. So there's been a couple, I will say, uh, can you come to mind off the top of my head? One of them was um, Elias Pedersen, How Sweet It Is, uh, mm -hmm. by You. And the reason why it was that one, it was simple. It was just me and Marie in my living room, which is where these things started. And I think that was the, the charm of these things when they started off. It was just like, who sits around and changes lyrics to, to sing about the favorite hockey team? And they're one-take wonders, just like my blogs, right? I don't do any editing or any post-production. And I really like that. And as you may be aware, uh, Pedersen saw that. Um, on, they showed it to the Hockey Night in Canada. And then I met him two months later in, in San Jose for the All-Star Game in January 2019. So well, that was always a cool experience. But um, I just love the magic of Marie. You, you, I write the lyrics. I trust you to write the lyrics, but I'm not going to sing them. Right? No, one, no one watching these videos can do this. That Asian guy playing the piano, I'll tell you that much. So I give, <laughs> I give the lyrics to, to Marie, and she, she works wonders. She's so talented, and her voice is so powerful. So that was good. Yeah. Another one we did was with Jake Pertan and Ben Hutton. It was a Canucks Christmas rap. Yeah, I remember that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they played that on Hockey Night as well, which is cool. But that one, Nick, they just told us they were going to get two players, but uh, or players, but they didn't tell us two. So when we showed up to film at Rogers Arena that day, they told us they were getting Jake and Ben. Obviously, Jake's still here, hopefully, if Ben not. Um, but they were so great. Like, they were rookies at the time. They had no clue. You could tell their dancers were horrible, but they were really, really... Uh, good sports about it. And then I like that one, Nick, because we use the Canucks production team, right? Their video guy, their audio guy, oh, their okay. special effects. Yeah, so you can tell, like, there is, there's two scenes, right? They're either the, the one take wonder in my living room that I edit, or we've done about four or five or six videos with the Canucks, which is, you know, awesome. So 
I, I like that one a lot. I know all the Christmas ones we've done with them. And then the, the, the one other one where I did with some trick buddies was uh, uh, two Christmas ago. It was um, uh, Happy Holidays in sync. And it was, it was brutal. It was in my it was in my living room again, but uh, the colors, the filming, the song I thought was hilarious. And then uh, we have a, our fake foreign exchange student. It's actually a guy from North Burnaby, actually. Yeah, oh, nice. And, North Burnaby so represent. Yeah, he, yeah, exactly. He lives here, but uh, he just looks like a foreign exchange student. I, I don't know how else to say it. And we bug him all the time. So ever since we started these Christmas videos, he only shows up in the Christmas videos. He's been about six or seven of them where we pretend he's our foreign exchange student. We, sometimes we give him lines to sing. And I actually have people reach out to me and they can say, hey, you know, uh, how's your experience in Kevin doing? So I've done three dozen of these parody songs between the Canucks and Seahawks, mostly Canucks, and those are three of my favorites. I appreciate you asking them. No, okay. So one more thing. Uh, I've, I've been, I was trying to think of a video that you could do now. Here, here's a suggestion yeah. I came up with. How about yeah. everyone's missing hockey? So how about a parody song of I'll Be Missing You by Diddy to I'll be yep. miss, like something to do with hockey. I'll be missing you hockey or something. I, you know what? I'm going to leave you with a suggestion. I'm going to leave you to the lyrics. But how, <laughs> what do you think of that for an idea? I'll be missing. Like, I do like it. Yeah. Would you, do you sing Nick or dance? No, or I don't. Anything? I don't sing or dance. I just want to be labeled as a creative consultant. And I want some royalties. That's all I want. Yeah, you got it. I just want, I just want, I just want, I just want my credit. Okay, I just want you to be sure that ten percent of zero is still zero, right? If I like, uh, for world okay, hey, I'll take, hey, I'll take it as long as I can say I'm a creative consultant. I think that that's my big thing. But you're down to do yeah. it, Nick. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll be. And actually, if this is this kind of I'll let you in a little trade secret. I actually was going to do that not for hockey. Oh, I, back when everyone was quarantining and making these, you know, quarantine parody videos. Yeah, I was going to do an every breath you take, uh, I'll be watching you kind of thing. But then I thought okay. it wasn't in the so best. So we're yeah, both yeah, we're best. both on a similar sa- wavelength. Just yeah, I think your taste, uh, yours is probably better uh, better taste than mine. So yes, I will. You know, if this doesn't go on any. If this continues to go on, I mean, it's not connected. Uh, it'll come back. I will do that song in June. I'll get Marie to sing it with me. And I'll give you full credit. There okay. you go, brother. Perfect. Okay, that's exactly <laughs> what I wanted to hear. So, all right, let's get let's get to a bit more Canucks talk. Oh, the la- the big news over the past two weeks has obviously been Judd Brackett. There's you knew we were going to talk about it. There is yeah. really the big story of the past two weeks involving the Vancouver Canucks has been this ongoing saga with Judd Brackett. I'm just going to ask you, like right off the top, what's your what's your take on this whole Judd Brackett situation? Oh, there's so many angles, Nick, but my think is that it's strange. It is a strange situation. Absolutely. You've heard of the adage, yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Unfortunately, something's broke, uh, but, and they need fixing. And uh, you, I guess it's strange because up until last summer, you wouldn't have thought that anything was broken, right? Doug Brackett, uh, obviously head of our amateur scouting, um, made some great picks. Not, you know, he's not 100%. No one's 100%, but especially in the past three or four years, with the Pedersen, Hughes, Hoglander, Puckholzen, there's a lot of, uh, even Gaudette, you know, later on, there's been a lot of really, really good finds. So what, why I think it's strange, Nick, is, is yeah, of course, no one's going to get along 100%, and you need people with dissenting opinions, you need healthy tension, you need all those, you guys mm-hmm. feel this, you need all these things to run an organization, to run a team, to run a leadership team, whatever it is, but... Um, it sounds like, and remember, we're only hearing one side, right? It's however Judge Brackett's people or Judd himself or, or people in the know are, are sharing things. It sounds like, um, for all intents and purposes, that it was a control thing. It wasn't a money thing. It wasn't a term thing. It wasn't even a recognition thing. It was simply, let me do my job. So then, then the, the, the focus splits back to Jim Benning and John Weisbrock and say, is it, is, it, is it fathomable that they are not letting him do his job, that they are kind of, uh, you know, uh, have the, wielding a, a mighty hand over them, so to speak, o- over Judd. So that's the biggest part we've only heard from Judd's side through his people or whatever. We haven't heard from Jim Benning. Um, he barely talked over the past two months. So we don't know the absolute truth. And, as, uh, and as, you know, I always think that the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? You have what Judd Brackett's side is going to say. You have what Jim Benning will ultimately say. And the truth is probably somewhere on that spectrum between the two, the two distant opinions. Mm-hmm. It's really sad given um, the, you know, how good Judd has been. But I will reserve comment from a standpoint or judgment, I should say, until I know the full story. Maybe the full story. Oh, that's no fun. You have, to, you have to make your judgment right now. That's no fun. <laughs> you can't wait for all the facts to come out. You have to have your, you have to have your take right now, and you have to stand well, by I'll, it. 
forever. Okay, flat out, I would love Jed to stay, but um, I can see if Jim Benning, if if he doesn't think that this is going to be a relationship that goes uh, that's going to be uh, reparable, or repairable, then I can see why Jim would be pushing him out. Although I don't agree with it, I don't agree with it, but I can see where he's coming from. That's what I'll say. Okay, so I think this whole situation stems from the differences in. I guess it goes all the way back to management and how they manage. You know, Mike Gillis was a very almost new school guy, right? Where he he, he yeah. trusts, he had people who he trusted and he deferred to that judgment where Jim Benning seems like a more old school guy where he wants the final say and he will trust yep. his judgment first and foremost over a guy like Judd Brackett. Now, what gives me pause about this whole situation is we're going to talk about the top prospects later, but yeah. what gives me pause is the fact that the pro scouting under Jim Benning, he would the, Jim Benning was running the pro scouting. He wasn't. He was had a large say in pro scouting. Was not very good up until you would say, maybe like the J.T. Miller, Josh Levo trades. That's when it started to yep. turn around, and that's when you started like, hey, everyone ripped the J.T. Miller trade. It turned out well. You know, some people mm-hmm. ripped the Tyler Foley trade, and I mean, you can't j- blame Jim Benning for not seeing a COVID nineteen pandemic ravaging the <laughs> NHL season. But that trade at the time, I still think like that was a good trade. You go yep. back to what you knew at the time. That was a good trade, but it took, you know, four or five years for the pro scouting to turn around. I mean, I can see a situation where Jim Benning takes control of amateur scouting, but it takes yeah. maybe four to five years from when he takes control completely for it to turn around. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I sorry, I, I, I agree with you, and it, it, that's a great point, Nick. Because when you talk about pro scouting, it's not just trades, right? It, technically, it's your scouting free agents there. To sign the contract, right? And then you're right. There's, that's where a lot of people maybe weren't thrilled with uh, even something that's not thrilled with Tyler Myers. Which I, I don't mind actually uh, the Brandon Sutter, the Jay Beagle, all those contracts, right? And then and then I agree with you. The Tafoli trade good, the Miller trade good, the Josh Lebel pickup for for a minor leaguer, and even going back, you know, to turn the uh, Branson into Tanner Personal, that was outstanding as well, right? So there are the four or five in the past two years. That have been good. Does it kind of mask or or you know wash away the, the state of maybe former poor trades or former free agent pickups? I don't know, but I, I would agree with you on that side for sure. But yeah, if he wants to continue getting good and improving in that, which it looks like he is, why not then let someone else do the amateur side like a Judd Brackett? So you know, it, it's fascinating. The, the one thing I was thinking about too, as you were talking, is um, I've heard like little rumblings just from people that we we both follow on Twitter that. You know, Judd Brackett not making himself look good, right, on um, out there from the yeah. standpoint of, yeah, a lot of people might want him because of his track record. Good. But uh, do you want someone who, uh, whether Tim or his people, are kind of chirping through the media? So that's, that's really, I don't think that's the biggest issue, but I think that is an issue, though, a smaller part of it, too. But, you know, that remains to be seen this when, once he walks on, on July 1st. Yeah, and I think a lot of this whole Judd Brackett situation is due to, like, how it's blown up is due to the fact that we're two months into a global pandemic and no sports news, and people need something to yeah. talk about. And not to say it's not a big story, but let's be real. It's yeah. definitely been amplified because it is really the only big, fresh news we've had over the past two months. And, Nick, were you surprised that it blew up like that? Or is it kind of par for the course with the pandemic and especially with Canucks Twitter? Well, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not surprised that it blew up the way it is, like, Canucks, like, hey, Canucks fans are super passionate, and they, like, yeah. how, it's been made, the point's been made, and however many NHL markets would there be a big uproar over the director of amateur scouting? There wouldn't be that many. <laughs> but that just goes to show, yeah. I think I think it's a credit to Canucks fans that there's there's enough passionate people online caring about the director yeah. of amateur scouting that these narratives can be drawn. Now, I mean, I remember having Sat Shaw back in January. I remember asking him about the Jeb Brackett situation then, and this was in January. Mm. So, it's, it's been blown a bit out of proportion because there is a bit of news, but it is still a big story. The fact that, hey, a guy who is director of amateur scouting, who is in part helped draft, you know, you we, you can arguably say the Canucks have taken the best player in the 2017 draft, Elias Patterson, and the 2018 draft in Quint Hughes. Like, you can legitimately make that argument. And the fact that yep. he may leave for nothing because Jim Benning presumably wants to defer to his own judgment instead of his is kind of, it's weird. It's, it's, un, it's I want to say unprecedented, but I don't remember anyone getting up in arms about director of amateur scouting in NHL recent history. Maybe I don't pay attention <laughs> to the enough of the league. 
No, I, I'm with you. You can put me in that list as well. And I know you're going to do me, but I, 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 I'm really curious. If when you see things blow up on Cuts Twitter or uh, the Bitter Bros against the Benning Bros, or, do you laugh that stuff off? Do you like to get engaged? Does it, do you, does it bother you? Like, What's your take when it comes to that kind of stuff? Because I know I have mine. Oh, see, it seems like you're taking over the podcast now. Like you're you're just trying to get you're trying to ask me <laughs> no, the questions. Look, hey, I think I think I'm a. To be honest, I, I'm kind of like adverse to, to like conflict. I, I don't really like getting yeah. into these battles because, at the end of the day, like how you're never going to convince someone online, especially on Connectsware, who's super anti-banning or super pro-banning, that it's you're they're they're wrong. You will never, you will yeah. never be able to change their mind. So, like, why even get into these debates in the first place? That's always been kind of my take. And hey, maybe that's a detriment to me. Maybe I should be, you know, mixing it up online to help boost the clout, help boost my Twitter clout, and help get my podcast out there more. <laughs> but I just, I just can't do it. I just, I, most of the time, I just can't do it. Like, sometimes I just have to sit out for some of these things. That's all I'm gonna say. No, for sure. And no, I think uh, honestly, you can add this to the, you know, the fridge too. I think it speaks to your integrity a little bit too, because. I am very. Oh, I have zero. I don't have that much. You're, you're, you're. I don't have that much integrity. <laughs> don't, don't pump my tires like that. Okay, okay. Well, I, I trust you. But you know, I don't think the too. And it's not because I hide behind this whole GLTBC positivity thing. I'm just an overall positive, optimistic person. I'm fine if I don't agree with you. I'm fine if you don't agree with me. But there's a certain way to argue those points. And I, the one that I see, the one that going back and forth, it's, it's sometimes it's ridiculous. Sometimes it's a little goofy and. And it's funny you mentioned Sat. Sat mentioned something to me too when, when I had a chance to sit down with him. He, he just, it's just crazy sometimes. It, it actually makes him anxious sometimes when he sees what's happening on Canuck social media. But yeah, you're right, Nick. It speaks to a passionate fan base for sure and a very knowledgeable one at that. Yeah, absolutely. So, why I wanted to talk about Judd Brackett is uh, the Athletic, uh, Thomas Trance and uh, Harmon Dial, both former guests of the show, came out with awesome. their top 10 prospects in the Canuck system. Uh, I'm not going to go over the whole list, like list it all through, but I want to point out a couple interesting things. And sorry to uh, those two writers, I'm blowing up their spot for any non-VIPs. I'm just going to give away their uh, their rankings. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. So the first thing I want to bring up is the fact that Ole Levy is seventh in their rankings out of all ten, of ten top pro- pro- prospects. Sorry, Ole Levy is seventh. Now I have my opinion on Ole Levy, but I want to get your thoughts on it. Like what's his, in your opinion, what's his upside? What can we see if he, if he makes the NHL, if he makes it uh, big, big F. Yeah. Great question, Nick. And if I recall, we might get into this rap phone three, woo six, 11, seven and uh rap eight. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I remember when I saw this article, Nick, I wasn't sure um, if they were talking about who's most ready versus who has the highest upside. And it looks like, it's the highest upside to have Rathbone so high, for instance, and to have Rafferty, who everyone pegged us, they gave him a spot for the next year already, way down number eight, if you know what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. So with Gilevy at seven, um, I've always wanted him to do well, not just so I can justify the pick, but I get, for the most part, there's some exceptions like McCarr and Hughes and Heiskanen and Dallin, but I, I see that defensemen often take a lot. So I'm fine with years to go. I'm fine with four years to go, but next year, we're coming to year five, right? He got drafted in 2016. Yeah. So, as of 2020, will be his fourth, it's technically his draft plus four. So, we really, really need to start seeing something. And we started seeing a little bit last year, before he started to get even more injuries in that. And if that does concern me, his, his injury history already, I knew that he wasn't the best skater, but I knew he had good vision, that he was a smart player, that he was defensively responsible, a good passer, you know, all those things. He just wasn't the most mobile skater. We don't have a lot of mobile skaters yeah. on, our, on our blue line. Uh, so, I want to see him do well uh, because, and admittedly, yeah, you you always hear, you know, look who we could have drafted. Look who we yeah, that was fun, you know, for the first one, two years. Five years later now, or four years later, it gets annoying, but uh, it doesn't go away. It will never go away until he actually uh, plays, uh, starts the game uh, for the Canucks. So, I want to do well. I think you know, he maxed out as a second pair of D-man. Uh, maybe he's a third pair of D-man for the first few years. But I do think he's got to make this roster, um, and it's got to be soon. If not this year, the next year for sure. But after that, you're at draft plus six. Like, what are we waiting for now? Yeah, exactly. And my opinion on Ole Levy is I, I have 0% confidence that this guy's going to 
be anything in the NHL. Yeah. Just just for the sole reason, and it's nothing against him, but Olio Levy, yeah. as of now, seems like one of those guys, one of those top prospects who his body just fails him. And you see it all the time, not just in hockey, but in other sports as well. There's just players out there, hot prospects, well-regarded, like high-drafted prospects whose bodies just fail them and they can't stay healthy. And, you know, some of it is like, you can't blame it all on them because some of them is just genetic. Some people are just more predisposed to injury than others, but some of it is, you know, taking care of your body and, you know, doing the proper, you know, yeah, just taking care of your body. And for me, Yulevi, it seems like he's already had so many injuries through these crucial, you know, four, four years of development that I just don't, I just don't see him being, an impact player in the NHL. Like you mentioned second pair. I think he's a third pairing guy in the NHL at this point. Like mm-hmm. if, if, if he's mm-hmm. that, and again, I don't, right. I don't hate you Levy at all. I just see what I've seen so far. And I see this guy cannot stay healthy and that's, and that's not good. No, it's true. And then, uh, you know, if you look at it as a fifth overall, like who else, a guy like Pedersen at fifth overall. So, it, it, it's tough when you see how high we did draft him, but I, I'm truly past that. Even though I keep talking about it, I just want him to to be a contributor to our Canucks team. And it, yeah, it sounds like uh, you're not that confident. I'm sort of confident, but uh, or maybe that's honestly, why you're Mister Positivity. Confident. You have you need to have that confidence. <laughs> maybe I'm more hopeful than confident, admittedly, but we'll, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, and so the third ranked prospect on their list, and the top ranked defenseman was Jack Rathbone, the defenseman out of Harvard. Now, I tweeted this out a few days ago, but if there's a case to keep Judd Brackett on the Canucks scouting staff, it's a player like Jack Rathbone, right? Like, he's a 95th overall in 2017, coming out of, you know, he was playing in the U.S., in the U.S. kind of high high school hockey system, and and uh, Judd Brackett finds this guy, Takes a takes a flyer at him, and he's now the top ranked Canucks defenseman prospect, and he's you know a guy who they're projecting to have like a pretty good NHL upside. So that's like when I see Jack Rathbone at at three, that tells me you got to keep a guy like Judd Brackett on because he can find these diamonds in the rough, especially out of the U.S. Especially out of the U.S. where he seems to have great success. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point, Nick, and uh, yeah, it's funny. As you said, it was 2017. Usually, in any draft, you want one player to come out there of the uh, draft year for sure. And if it's two, then then it's a successful draft, right? Um, so imagine if you know uh, uh, who I can't remember now who we picked. Oh, in 2017, it was Pedersen in the first round, Rappel in the fourth round. I don't know. Do you remember who we picked two and three? Uh, well, Cole Lynn was a second round pick that year, and I believe oh, they picked uh, Gadjevich as well in the second round. Those are two seconds. Right. Thank you for that. That's that's a good, that's a good point. So I was I literally when I saw that list, I was surprised that Rathbone was uh, ranked. So and high. they won the ranking and higher. Think, they 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 wanted to rank him second, and all the scouts are like, "No, Hoglander's is a better prospect." Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. So that that's a lot, obviously, about. Uh, and I think with Rathbone, Nick, we see something that the Canucks don't have a lot. Of, they have a bit in Clint. Well, they have a lot of good teams, but we don't have in anyone else. Is is someone who's who's quite mobile, who makes a good first pass, but who's, um, you know, who can just, I, I really like his vision. I don't know a lot about him, maybe, but everything I've seen and heard, I, I, good offensively, he's got good vision, and he can skate. Like, he can skate quite well. Not like Quinn Hughes level, but he can skate quite well. And, you know, I'd say the second best skater we have on the blue line after Quinn Hughes was a Troy Setzer, and Rathbone looks like he's got a much better, funny, they're both mm-hmm. college guys, but a much better upside. So, yeah, I'm excited too. Um, I'm not too worried about the fact that, you know, his family's not willing to play. There's so much activity. AHL, um, college sports, let alone college hockey. And then he, I, I think we know we, he's got until next August to sign with us, which is typical. Can I get the track record with, with college players, Nick? Is, is, you know, you look at so many of them on our roster, whether they were drafted or not. The, the Stetchers, the Besters, the Tanners, the Hughes of the world, got that. So I am I'm confident that they're they're going to sign. I know a lot of people are already scared, but that's Canucks Twitter for you, right? This is yeah. this is uh, whatever 14 months out or 15 months out. People are already worried that they're not going to sign. <laughs> yeah, let's all let's all just chill out a bit. Like I haven't seen any indication yet that Jack Rathbone's going to bolt when he has a chance. But hey, that hey that could change. Yeah, exactly, that's why that's exactly, why exactly. that's why people are freaking out. And again, I think this is why you have to at least try and keep a guy like Judd Brack out there. Like look. My pants job. I used to I used to work at a place called BC Sports Hub, and we covered a lot of like high school, 
you know, high school basketball around here, a few bit of college basketball. And I got to co- talk to a lot of college basketball, basketball coaches, sorry. And I know it's a bit of a different sport, but I see a, a few, par- a couple parallels here. Pretty much the way you recruit is you got, you, there's two ways to recruit. You can either be the hardest working guy out there or girl. Hey, there's some girls co- uh, coaches out there. You know, go out, go to every high school game, go to every, you know, club tournament, try and pound the payment that way. Or you can have a network that will do the work, help you do the work, do the work for you, and that you trust that for judgment. And then you go, you know, see these players yourself. And Judd Brackett, in my opinion, seems to have a network of guys, especially in the U.S., like Northeast. Like think about guys like Adam Godek, Jack, Jack Rathbone, even a guy like Brock Besser, I'm sure he had a, had a say in. He, I'm sure he has a network in U.S. hockey that can help yeah. him find players in the future, right? Why would you want to lose a guy like that who seems to have a network of guys that can help him, get the Canucks, and him find players for the team? Right. No, it's true. It's true. And, uh, yeah, and if, uh, like if, if Brackett wants to find someone who's just as good, who's just not out there, maybe it kind of sticks to your whole thing of we're not really experts on the – amateur scouting uh the recruiting scene so like, yeah it, it's very tough to say but you're right it, going back to the very first thing like, if any folks don't stick to the he's done some wonderful things and not just yeah, the flashy first and second round picks but the later round finds like Godette and like Rathbone you need those guys in your line you need one of those guys to hit once in a while Okay, let's let's move on for Judd Brackett. That was enough Judd Brackett talk for this week. Uh, sure. Free free agent priorities. I've been at, I've been asking pretty much everyone who's come on my podcast the last few weeks. Who would you prioritize in free agency? You've got players like you know Jacob Marsham, Tyler Foley, Chris Tanev, and you got some RFA's that need work as well. Like if you're if you're Jim Benning, who do you prioritize whenever free agency happens? Like who knows when it's going to happen, but once that happens, who do you prioritize re-signing? And we're talking about our guys, right? Not, yeah, not our like, guys. Uh, our, just our yeah, guys. Yeah. Uh, good question, Nick. Uh, you know, I'll flip-flop back and forth between Markstrom and Toffoli as the number one priority. I, I think it, it goes to say, I, I think most people would, would agree it's Jacob Markstrom because we know mm. all the stats, how he single-handedly win one game for us, or won like eight or nine games for us. Uh, single-handedly is a funny term, but you know what I mean. And then we saw how Demko took a few games to, to find himself. In the news. Uh, he took the ball uh, and ran with it, so to speak, in February and March. So everything uh, in in my head and my heart says Markstrom should be the priority. And because uh, uh, especially if you need Demko, if you're sure, still not sure about Demko, although I like him a lot. But then man, I got so excited when Tafoli came, 10 points, 10 games. I got so excited when Brock Nesson I suited up for that last game, and I was talking to finally our top six of Tapoli, Pedersen, Besser, Miller, Horvat, and Pearson, and then we got it for one game, man. We got it for one yeah. game. Yeah. <laughs> right, thanks, COVID. So, <laughs> so, um, but I know of the big three, I took ten of it, number three for sure. And I, um, if I had to rank them today, I think for the betterment of the team, I would put Markstrom slightly ahead of. Of Tyler Toffoli, but I, I I can't underestimate. I can't understate how much I, I love what Toffoli brought to the team. He made us. Uh, he gave us a different look, and we were much more dangerous. Now the market thing is interesting because, as you know, uh, you don't want to pay too much, or you, yeah. you don't want to put too much money in your goaltending position. The Canucks have. Uh, I don't. They think they use the term, but they could play a bit of hardball. They could actually, you know, uh, offer him a deal. Not not full ball and like insult him, but uh, you don't have to give in to every whatever Markstrom wants as much as he says he wants to stay here, but everyone's going to say that because it, yeah, it's probably poor asset management. You don't want him to walk for nothing, but there might be a dollar amount. And it might be a term where the Canucks say, you know, actually, this doesn't make sense. We've got Demko. We, we have the expansion draft coming up. Well, well that's, that's, that, that, that's another factor that goes the other way. But then, then you have uh, Hughes and Pedersen that need new new contracts in a year. So there, there's so much. We don't even know what the salary cap's going to be next year, right? So, there's so many variables, and I guess that's the tricky but exciting part of the, the time we live in. But if I had to rank, I would go mm-hmm. Markstrom over to Foley, but just by a hair. And then, you know, I like Troy Stetcher, not just because I'm from Richmond, but I, I like the way that Stetcher is younger, uh, more durable, although Tanev did play every game this season. Uh, so I would put Stetcher, uh, Stetcher over Tanev, and I think they will sign Jake. I think Jake's not uh, – you always value your – you overvalue your own players, right? So for 
I, I think Jake won't get something on the free as an RFA, of course, still. Um, he's not going to get, you know, there's a lot of hoops got to jump through. I think the Canucks signed him for another short one, another one or two years to make sure that what he did this season wasn't a fluke. And then, you know, guys like Levo, I know he's up too, right? Isn't he? Yeah. You got to yeah, feel for a guy like Josh Levo. Like he gets injured and then a global pandemic happens and who knows if he's going to get a yeah. big contract. Yeah, I know. They'll sign him because he's one of those uh, weird. Yeah, they have like all the leverage. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, I think Santa was in USA as well. So I think, you know, he could, he could, uh, you know, they have Jordy Ben for one more year. So if you can argue that they do the same thing, the same efficiency on the ice, that then you could let Vanderbilt walk, save a bit of money there. So, you know, um, I, I would go uh, Markstrom, Toffoli, Stetcher, and Vertanen kind of in that third hole. And then I wouldn't, and then I think Levo will get done, Gaudet's going to get done because of you said leverage. And then I think Vanderbilt goes, I think Vanderbilt goes. And uh, I'm not sure if I'm missing one guy in there, but I know there's like seven or eight UFAs, RFAs for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and I, in my opinion, we'll get to the Demko Markstrom debate a bit later. But in my opinion, sure. I think I think Tanev's as good as gone. I can't see a situation yep. where they he's going to have to take some sort of like Alex Edler deal. Where like I really want to stay here, and I don't care like what kind yep. of deal you give me. Just let let me stay here, type deal. And even then, the AAV's yep. got to be a bit lower. But I think right. it, you you're going to have to. I I think Tanev's like a good gone. I'd go Stetcher over Tanev in this point, in my opinion. Yep. Me too. Me too. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, then Tanner, it's interesting. We have the other deal because the other did two years at whatever, right? But it was pretty good. Was like yeah, he's selling a good AAV, deal. but Tanev's not going to be able to have get that. He's not going to get yeah, that same yeah, AAV. Right. Absolutely. So yeah. now, why I want to bring up this whole Demco versus Markstrom debate is you did kind of hint at it, but I was reading an article David Quadrelli wrote for Canucks Army, former guest of the show mm-hmm. as well, and he awesome. that 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 article almost convinced me, like, hey, we don't need to sign. Jacob Markstrom to a big ticket when we have a guy like we don't necessarily have to when we have a guy like Ian Clark coaching him and Demko waiting in the wings so here in 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 your opinion would you go all out to sign a guy like Jacob Markstrom and make sure he's the goalie for the next four to five years for his team or if the price is too high do you say hey maybe we could take a chance with Demko or is are you a Markstrom or bus type guy uh, good question, Nick. And I, yeah, I kind of hit that in my answer uh, previous. No, I'm not a Marshall or Bust type guy. I, lo- I like him a lot. He, you know, what he did this year playing through the death of his father, amazing stuff and very inspiring. And it speaks to his, his will to win. But I know, and I heard it uh, straight from one of the horses' mouths uh, a few years ago, that the Canucks had, have such high hopes for Demko. They, they had Luongo type hopes for Thatcher Demko, and he's still young. Right, he's many, many years younger than Mark. Cannot play breaking news. I like it. <laughs> and we've, uh, you know, it's interesting that we we've seen that when he's on his game, um, his athleticism, his his focus. He's a good, good goaltender. Uh, Demko is. So I would not, uh, yeah, I would not be completely shocked, and I wouldn't be overly sad if they if they let Markstrom go. And they're kind of like, well, you know, I, I like him a lot. He's important to the team. But the money and the term, as you said, Nick, has got to make sense. I'm not a Marks from a bus guy. I, I, I could see them going with Demko if it seems to make more sense from a money and term standpoint. But, yeah, who, that negotiation, as, as all of them are, is going to be very interesting for sure. But I, I like Demko a lot. I, I like his attitude. I like his, I like his focus. I like the way he handles himself in the media for a young guy. And I, I think the team could build around him in net if, Man, imagine if they can flip Jacob Markstrom for some assets. But I don't know if that's going to happen. No, Jim Jim Benning has not shown to do any sort of asset management type stuff yeah. like that. So it's, that's not going to happen. But uh, what's your max contract you would give Jacob Markstrom? Like a contract that anything above this, I would just you would just go with Demko. Yeah, you know, um, at the start of the year, it's funny, man. People were talking like five or five point two five or mm-hmm. four something. And then at the end of the year, they're talking about six or six and a half. Like well, it, he played well. Is, is that, yeah, no, exactly. His value increased by twenty five percent over over the year or whatever the math is. I um, oh gosh, you know, I've been hearing a lot of um, uh, five years at six million, right, or, or four years at six. Yeah, which is a lot, you know. But what's he making this year? Pardon, Markstrom. What's Markstrom making this year? He's like, making three something. He's oh, made, well, he got, he got, he got, yeah, he he got he got signed to a kind of like a prove me deal a couple of years ago, and this is the last yeah. year. You know, it's funny how we're talking about numbers as big, Nick, but every 
dollar makes a, it makes a difference, right? And for yep. for a cap a strap team like the Canucks, you know, man, to me six seems high. I I would I would try and get him for five to five and a half, but I don't know if we're going to be able to do that now, or maybe we are because the cap was down. I I don't know anything over five point five seems a little high to me. What what do you think? I would say anything like. More than five million would be kind of yep. my thing because you think again, again yep. you have to worry about Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes in the future. You can't, yep. you know, back up the Brinks truck, so to say, to the sign marks. I'm like, there has to be a certain number you cannot go above, and it, it'd be yep. around five million. And it's funny you see a guy like Robin Leonard, who who's uh, you know a Vesna finalist, and he's taking a one-year contract. Like no one will sign him for yeah. longer than the, the yeah, goalie. Yeah. The goalie market is definitely changed a lot over the last few years. Like teams for the most part, are hesitant to give goalies like big long-term contracts. Yeah, exactly. And Holtby, yeah, interesting, Holtby is probably the number one UFA goalie this summer, and who knows what he's going to get. Like, uh, exactly, he's going to be exactly spot. Who's going to sign him for long-term? Yeah. I'm sure a lot of GMs are looking at what happened with Sergei Mavroski. It's like, eh, I don't want that with my team. Yeah, that's scary. You're, that's a great point. That's scary for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So last week, was uh, what if week for uh, SB Nation? Unfortunately, I totally forgot about it last week for my podcast, so we're gonna have to do it this week with you. All right, uh, I'm ready. Okay, so I've got two what ifs, Canucks what ifs, one from okay. very recently and one from a bit from the past. So, okay, here's my Canucks what if. What if Jim Benning does not trade for JT Miller back last June? What do you think happens to the Vancouver Canucks this past season? Oh, if he did not trade him. And then that means we would have kept our own pick, but obviously that pick wouldn't be playing for us. Um, no condition. No, we're not a playoff team. Well, I, I like. I, I think if Jim Benning did not trade for JT Miller, we would have picked up maybe a different type of forward in free agency who would not have had the same impact. No one would have guessed the impact JT Miller had. And hopefully this forward that we would have got anyways that had more luck than Mike. You know, I was so excited about the Michael Furlan thing. Like, I was excited that we had Furlan and Miller. And I was trying to figure out who was going to play in the top line between the two of them. And it's funny how divergent their seasons were. No, I mean, that's your question. If we did not trade for Jason Miller, we would be a lottery team this season. Now, some people might like that. But, uh, so I, Miller's leadership on and off the ice, just how good he's how well he played. You know, you know, I don't know he's, he's awesome about breaking up plays in the neutral zone. I don't know if you ever noticed that. A, a team will be trying to uh, get out of their zone and he'll, he'll keep in bad parts of the air. He can rub guys out on the board. He can just disrupt things. I just love everything he brought and, uh, you know, he's got a kind of a goofy attitude off the ice but um, I like him a lot. So, if we didn't do that trade because um, there are no scenarios and assets that went that way, right? It was, it was like a goalie. Who went the other way? It was like a goalie um, a draft pick, a conditional draft pick, and someone else, a roster player. Yeah. I can't remember now. Yeah, I'm told. Um, I should do a bit more research when it comes to these uh, what if questions because yeah. I'm just leaving it out <laughs> to dry. But hey, yeah, I think, you know, I think, I think, I'm like, I asked uh, Kyle Bowen asked the same question on Silicon yeah. Filthy, and he said the same thing. Like, the Canucks probably would have been where the California teams are this year, right? Like, yep. San Jose, Great Anaheim, point. LA. They probably, he probably, probably would have been around here because Miller's over a point per game. Like, he did amazing and more. Yep, cannot disagree with that. Okay, so my next Canucks what if, this is going back a bit. What happens? What if Dan Hamhuis does not get injured in the 2011 Stanley Cup finals? Well, we win the Stanley Cup, um, for sure. Like, I, I, have, I have no doubt in my mind. And that was, you guys heard flattening Lucic, right? He tried to hip check Milan Lucic, yeah, and his destroyed his <laughs> back in the process. Yeah, because, you know, Hamhuis, he was. That that decor was was so solid, and but like anything, you take out one of your top two or three D, there's just that trickle down effect, right? And now you're playing guys like Rome or Keith Ballard, or well, I can't remember who the six or seven guys were, right? After yeah, you know, after Hamie Fiesta was your top four, and then it fell then to Otanek played right in that final, didn't he? Yeah, he was uh, he was like the undrafted guy who managed again the decor. Yeah. Right, so it's it's Valor, kind of, you know, so it it falls off a little bit. So, no, absolutely. um, I think we do, and I'm just saying this, I think we do win the Stanley Cup. But it was crazy, though. The three Boston games would have made a difference, though, that much because we got shellacked, right, in Boston. So, 
maybe maybe we win Game Seven at home if Ham uses in the lineup. Yeah, yep, maybe that's all. Maybe that's all it took. Maybe it just takes that one game. Yep, and he may, or he makes a, a great play on one of the three losses that helps turn the tide or stem the momentum. You never know, but I'd like to. You know, I, I don't want to live too much on what it is, but it is a fair question. I think if uh, Dan Ham uses in that lineup for the entire uh, you know entire series, we win that series. I really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's sorry. That's that's my opinion as well, and I don't want to talk about 2011 anymore. So okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> So you're known online as, you know, Mr. Positivity. You're a pretty, you've talked about it a bit so far. Like you're a pretty positive guy. So I want to play one last game before we end this. So I want you to sure. say, I want you to say night, some nice things on some certain characters around the Vancouver Canucks, past and present. All right. I right? love this. And, no, and legit though, like I, have, I, have to, I have to believe in what I'm saying or just want me to say something nice. <laughs> yeah. You want, I want you to say something nice, something positive about all these people. Okay. Ready? Okay. okay. Whether or not I believe it or not. Well, I would hope you believe it, but you can, you can lie to me. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to know, I guess. Uh, first, All right, I'm ready. Jim Benning. Honest, genuine, truly wants to win. Okay. Uh, Elias Pettersson. Oh, uh, franchise, uh, focus, determinant, determination. I know she saw the article that him, uh, uh, Thomas Grant did this morning, the athletic comparing. I was basically talking about Pettersson. Re, uh, watching the last dance. Oh, okay, and I, I of, knew I yeah. knew someone was going to write about the last dance <laughs> and like comparing it to yeah. one of the Canucks. I I I, yeah. I, I sure guessed it was Thomas Drance. Um Yeah, it just came out this morning. It's not the actor, but honestly, uh, can't say a negative thing about him. You know, and the fact that he's only he's so young. Um, uh, this is our franchise player. All right. And, so uh, if we yeah. let if we win less than six cups with Elias Pettersson, I'm going to be very disappointed. That's the that's Me. the. The standard too. now. Yeah, play the clip back. You got it. Exactly. Um, Trevor Linden. Uh, heart and soul, loyal to his teammate. Um, uh, on a personal note, uh, I've met him a couple times. Actually, I'll tell you really quick. You got, you got time for 30 seconds for a minute? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the floor is yours. That, Can- that Canucks Christmas wrap that we were filming, um, I believe he was uh, He was still part of Yeah, he was, he was president then. Um, he was at the penalty uh, you know, on the bench. He was on, on the bench, sitting on the ice level, and me and Marie and Ariel were, were skating around the ice. <laughs> he basically said, hey, what are you guys doing out there? Like, he knew something was going on, obviously, the, the video guys, lighting guys were there. Yeah. And I yelled back at him, hey, we're filming a, your, your Christmas video. It's just kind of like that. And he, he kind of chuckled and walked away. Uh, so and I met a couple times. We actually got him to our, our Catholic school as a surprise from the grade 17 to our principal, who's a big Linden fan. So, Community, um, stellar in the community, loyal to his teammates, heart and soul. Uh, really too bad how things ended up. Obviously, he stuck to his gun. Kind of like we were talking about with Jeff Brackett for 20 minutes uh, or 10 minutes, and it, uh, it might have been his undoing. Mm-hmm. Mark Messier. Leader. Maybe, uh, maybe painted with an unfair brush a little bit because the team didn't succeed as we hoped that they were here. We, uh, no, it's going to be positive. Um, but definitely uh, one of the best leaders in sports. And I have heard many Canucks players, the ones on his side, that said that he was very influential in, in his time here. Okay, that's that's going on social media for sure. Canuck Clay, Mark <laughs> Messier apologist. <laughs> yeah. I trust you, man. I trust you. No, no, that, that's why I asked the question. It's, it's, all about, it's all about gotcha on this podcast. We got the gotcha. <laughs> okay, next next player, Quinn Hughes. We'll go back easy. Quinn Hughes. You should be able to spat, you know, oh, say yeah. great Great things about this guy. Elite. He's our he's our Pedersen of the blue line, meaning I, I believe so strongly in both of them. Uh, skate, edge work, mobility, vision, creativity. Uh, we are blessed to have this guy, and we've never had someone like this guy. Sorry, going back to Mark Messi, I thought you had some, said something like he likes potato chips or something like that. <laughs> I thought that was too easy. I wanted to try and uh, give a bit more substance. Yeah, okay. That, hey, probably good for the podcast that you – you're a Mark Messier apologist. I didn't know that. Um, Marcus Nasland. A leader, humble, uh, gracious, honest, uh, and uh, wicked wrist shot, uh, brilliant playmaker, and the heart of that West Coast squad. All of them were, were all three of them were, were important on the West Coast stretch, but he was the most talented of three for sure. And yeah, uh, loved him as a player. Okay. Mike Keenan. Ooh, uh, he was fiery. He was. Uh, reminds me of like a you know, old like Tortorella before there was Tortorella. Um, but 
he won cups like not with us, but uh, he won cups elsewhere, right? Like, I well, he obviously you obviously won it with the Rangers, but he won the uh, Gagarin Cup in the KHL as well. I did not know about that KHL one. Thank you. Yeah, you know, uh, obviously a great hockey mind. Uh, winning with the Rangers, yeah, you know, to get that, but uh, good hockey mind. Um, probably very loyal. I presume he's very loyal to his players. Maybe a little bristly to the media, but he's a winner. Okay, Eric Goodbranson. <laughs> uh, good size, honest, nice guy. I've met him a couple times. Charity thing, uh, just uh, maybe miscast, misused, or maybe a bit overrated. Right, third, um, third overall pick. So obviously a lot of potential there. But but all these guys, they're, they're great players. They're the best players in the in the world. But it didn't work out here. Mm. You forgot to mention. I thought you would mention incredibly good looking. Well, he is. Yeah, he's a good looking guy. Um, yeah, no, he's a he's an excellent looking guy, and especially when he, he came out rocking that uh, you know that Chinese attire for one of the Lunar New Year games, he looked good. He looked good. Yeah. So two more, Roberto Luongo, my favorite player, my favorite all time connect player, uh, uh, transparent, comp- hyper competitive, uh, good under pressure for the most part. I think of the 2010 Olympics, you know, 2011. I'm not blaming him for. The reason why we lost, we got to be able to score a goal too. Just uh, ultra, ultra competitive, yet uh, was able to humble himself and make himself more accessible and more likable as his career went on. So he, he matured and he evolved. I could do without a three million dollar cap recapture penalty, but that's not yeah. his fault. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent not his fault. Final <laughs> one, Daniel and Henrik Sedin. I'm, I'm, I'm combining them for this one. No, fair enough. Uh, uh, class, integrity. Two best players ever to wear a Canucks uniform with all due respect to Barry Naslin, Lyndon, and Sneal up there and the rafters are ready. Uh, yeah, integrity, classy, community-based examples, role models. Uh, we are so blessed to have them as as Canucks ambassadors, as alumni, as Hall of Fame, future Hall of Famers. I can't say enough about them. And um, to the way that they led on the ice, the way that they they – Traveled through, handled adversity. Um, that uh, outstanding. You can't say enough about them. Yeah, no, I, you you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, thank that. That's that's all the questions I have. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We should, we gotta do this again sometime. No, anytime, Nick. You're doing a great job, and I uh, wish you continued success and uh, keep up the good work, man. You're doing you're doing a wonderful work. Oh, awesome. Yeah, thank you for pumping my tires throughout this whole interview. I appreciate it. I need I needed that that confidence boost. GLCPC, brother. Yes, absolutely. All right. Take care, man. Thanks to Clay Emo for coming on the podcast. Much appreciated. Great time with him. Now, this whole quarantine, I've been recommending something at the end of each show for you to binge, for you to enjoy. Maybe something you haven't heard yet. Now, last week it was a bit of a vague one. I said to pimp a butterfly, but I suggest an album, any album. It wasn't a specific suggestion. It was just an album that made you feel good. It made you feel nostalgic. And to be honest, those are the albums I'm enjoying right now. Albums that take me back to a certain time in my life. This recommendation this week is not really one of those. It's just a straight album recommendation. We're going, it's not hip-hop. We're going back to rock, classic rock. Going to Tattoo You by the Rolling Stones. Released in 1981. This album is close to 40 years old. It will be 40 years old next year. Wild to think about that. Now, why do I like this album? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, it's the last truly great album, in my opinion, from like an all-time rock band. After Tattoo You, they've released a few albums, you know, Steel Wheels, all that stuff, but it's not the same. This, in my opinion, is the last truly great Rolling Stones album from their peak, Tattoo You, Rolling Stones. And well, you know what I also like about this? All these songs in this album are, I wouldn't say outtakes, but they're discards from previous albums. Songs like Start Me Up, Waiting on a Friend, these are songs that didn't make the cut for albums like Some Girls, 
and Emotional Rescue, which is Alan is off the back of. Both those albums are very good as well, especially some girls. If you like sort of Rolling Stones disco stuff, which I don't mind from time to time, this is a great album. Again, great songs like Start Me Up. That is the perfect song to start a concert with, is Start Me Up. I've never seen the Rolling Stones live. Probably never will. They're probably almost done. But people have been saying that for probably 20 years now. But if they don't start their concert to Start Me Up, what are we doing? You have other great songs like Waiting on a Friend, No Use in Crying, Worried About You. And again, these are all albums, these are all songs, sorry, that didn't make the cut for their past albums. This is how prolific the Rolling Stones were, especially in the 1970s. They were constantly releasing stuff and good stuff as well. My recommendation, listen to Tattoo You next time you go for a run around your neighborhood for a nice walk. I guarantee you, you will be amped up. Once Start Me Up starts playing, it's the first track off this album. Once Start Me Up gets going, you are going to get pumped and you are going to crush your run or your walk. Or, hey, you listen to this album during a workout. It's a pretty good workout album as well if you like listening to rock during your workouts. I'm more of a hip-hop guy when it comes to working out. But that's my recommendation this week. Tattoo You, probably the last truly great Rolling Stones album, in my opinion. Tattoo You by the Rolling Stones. Give it a listen. Once again, I'm your host, Nick Bondi. You are listening to Power of the Purell, the under-quarantine version of Power of the Towel. Subscribe to the network. You'll get this show as soon as it comes out. You'll get Silky and Filthy coming out every week, Puck talking Bullshit with Kyle Bowen and Trevor Beggs. Great episode last week. You get the quickie, the fastest hockey show, daily hockey show in the entire universe is Trevor Beggs. And you'll get, eventually, sipping on a 40, probably whenever hockey comes back. Once again, this is Power of the Purell. This is your host, Nick Bondi. And thank you for listening.